Welcome to Mountain View Church, where our love for God leads us to love our team, right? I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We love our world, but we love our teams. You guys are, are into the Super Bowl. Anybody? Anybody into that? Going to watch it? We have one person who's going to watch it today. It says, um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a Niners fan. Wore my hat. I've been rooting for them since I was a kid, I guess. Um, but I, you know... If they lose, I don't care that much because my buddy Joe Geranio, you know, is in the hospital. We prayed for him last week. Joe's doing great. Uh, and so we had an answer to prayer there. So that's really been good. Uh, it's scary. He had a, um, yeah, new heart now. Six, I think he had a, a six bypass. I didn't know you could do that. So, uh, so Joe's going to be a different person. I'm not too concerned because when the Niners win, he's going to be so drugged, he won't know about it anyway. <laughs> How many of you think the Niners are going to win? Yeah, we got a few. How many people think that the Chiefs are going to win? Oh, man, it's pretty even. That's, that's, that's going to be a close. Well, we'll, we'll know. God, God knows what's going to happen. I think God, God played with Leviathan, you know, with the whales. He, God loves to have fun, and I think he wants us to have fun, although we always have to keep in perspective that this is just a game. You know, I mean, it started off just like dominoes as a game, but somehow it got to a bigger level, right? You know, and so it's a game. Have fun and enjoy it, but always remember at the end of the day, it's just a game. Um, but, you know, when you think about football, for example, you think about these players and, you know, you think about the fact that each player is good, but they're in a team and there's a hierarchy, right? They all answer to somebody else. So if you're a good football player, you still answer to your positional coach who answers to the coordinator of that area, who answers like with the 49ers, you've got coach Kyle Shanahan and above him is the general manager, um, John Lynch. And above him is the York family who owned the team. And above them is the NFL and all their rules. And above them is the government and the government has its rules. I mean, you think about it, everybody serves somebody. You ever think about that? I mean, you may be serving your, your, your parents when you're a kid, or then maybe your employer, or worse yet, your homeowner association. <laughs> right? I mean, everybody's, there, there's somebody that you serve, and it, you just don't get away from it. We've seen recently with impeachment trials that in a democracy, even the president is held accountable, right? And so, what about dictators? Well, they often have their military hovering over them. And even if you get to the point where it seems like there's absolutely nobody that's over you, there is. Spiritually speaking, there is. Bob Dylan, when he briefly, supposedly turned to Christianity, wrote a song that, about that. He says, you've got to serve somebody. You either serve the devil or you serve the Lord. Who is it that you serve? And we've been doing this series on Romans. What's really interesting with Romans is it goes back and forth with that. Are you serving sin or are you serving righteousness? Are you serving life or are you serving death? And he goes back and forth in this. Mitch said today, we're going to be talking about the fact that we are not only supposed to serve righteousness, but we're supposed to be slaves to righteousness. Now, to kind of catch up, last week we had a great testimony Sunday and, and great testimonies, and we took a break. So just a, a quick review so we understand Paul's stream of thought here. First of all is Paul has made a promise. And the promise is that you, by faith, can come into a relationship with the God of the universe. And you can live with him and have his guidance in life and live with him forever in heaven. The problem is most people don't believe it. Most people believe that they have to work their way into heaven. And they try very hard to do so and they always fall short. Just can't do it. 
because it's not up to them. God has made the provision. And the provision God has made is as Jesus has died on the cross for your sins and risen from the grave so that you might be in a relationship with the living God. And that brings us to the theme that we're talking about now, which is the power of the gospel. When you come into relationship with God, you immediately have power that gives you peace. Power that gives you hope that you know that God has empowered you to one day live with him in heaven. Power to give you hope to get through the hardships of the sufferings that you may experience here on planet earth. You have the knowledge that you are now alive to Christ and dead to sin. But now, Paul says, we need to go further. It's not just all that's happened to us, but now what are we going to do with it? How shall we now live that we have this power within us? And he begins this transition. And in the midst of his transition, he answers a lot of different questions. And today we're going to see at the bottom line is that you start by being slaves to righteousness. Next week we'll look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. We'll expand on this concept. So go ahead and read Romans 7, 1 through 6 for next week. And right now I am going to read to you Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are slaves of righteousness, or we're to be slaves of righteousness. We start by learning that we are slaves to whom we obey in verses 15 through 19. Paul anticipates that they are going to be upset with what he's been teaching. Remember, we learned last week that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And that we live by grace, not by anything we do. That we are loved by God as an unmerited favor. And they come up with a natural argument, and he anticipates this. He knows they're going to resist, and they're going to say, look, we've got laws all over the place, and laws are good things, because what do laws do? They constrain crime. Right? You have laws to keep people from doing bad things. So if you're saying that we are now dead to sin, and we can do whatever we want, we're not under a law then aren't people going to sin more? So Paul says, no, not if they truly have given their lives to Christ because it's all about who you obey. If you obey sin, then yeah. But if you're not obeying sin and you're obeying God, then you're going to sin less. 
and he gives this whole analogy about slavery, which, you know, probably makes some of us uncomfortable. We're not into slavery, or we shouldn't be into slavery. When we think of slavery, we think of somebody capturing another and causing them to, to work for them and do their bidding and often being cruel to them in the process. A couple weeks ago, our small group went to the Bianchi Center and heard Debbie Johnson speak with without um, permission. And some of you have actually worked with that group. And they are fighting um, human trafficking. And we have said before here in our church, we've pointed out to you that there are more slaves today in the world than there have ever been before in history. And many of them, if not most, are in part of this whole human trafficking. So it's something we should be aware of, and some may even participate in that. It's a horrible, horrible thing. So when we look at it from that perspective, we say, Paul, I don't really feel comfortable with your analogy. But we need to understand the analogy from the context of where Paul was at that point in time in history. In that time, in Paul's day, a huge, huge percentage of the Roman Empire were slaves. In fact, if you freed all of the slaves, you would shut down the empire. It would economically destroy the empire. All the slaves would have starved to death. People in those days would often go to a wealthier person and volunteer themselves as a slave so that they would have a job and they'd have a place to stay. It was really kind of a form of employment under that system. But when people are put in that position, you will have some you know, nice owners, but for the most part, owners don't treat people very well when they can get away with whatever they want. And typically, they're, they're quite cruel. So it was not a good situation, but it was the situation that they were in at that time. So Paul is saying, from that perspective, who are you going to be a slave to? And he doesn't give us much wiggle room here. He says, who are you going to be a slave to? Were you going to be a slave to sin or are you going to be a slave to righteousness? He says, sin will lead you ultimately to death. Right? That's where we're all heading. Did you know we're all terminally ill? We're all terminally ill. And we're all going to die because of sin. But eternal life can come through Jesus Christ. And if we're obedient to God, we will live righteous lives. And we will do what is right. In God's eyes, we'll be connected and working with God. And he says something that's cool here. He says, I want to thank God because some of you here, you were in that position. I know you were in that position. And God has changed your life. And you're no longer slaves to sin, but you've become slaves to righteousness. And you now are conformed to the teachings that have been passed down through the apostles. And I can say that today, that there are some of you in this room, at one point all of us were slaves to sin, but there are people in this room that I can look around with and see who I know were slaves to sin when they came to this church. And they have come to know Christ, and they've been baptized, and their lives have been changed, and we've been able to see them conform more and more to the teachings of the apostles as they're now contained in this book we call the Bible. So that's pretty cool. So we can say the same thing. God is in the business of changing lives. When people become obedient to them, him, they sin less because they're wrapped up in serving him and doing what he would want. So we've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Now he says this. He says, I'm speaking in human terms here, people. Do you know that most illustrations don't work? You ever notice that? You guys go home and you say, ah, that, I, that illustration was okay that he used, but you know, if you really look at it from this way, I know you do that because none of my illustrations work at the end of the day. They're all imperfect, right? And Paul is saying the same thing here. I can't, I, part of the problem Paul is saying is that you are limited. You know, you, our brains only go so far. 
And we're talking about the transcendent God of the universe. So what illustration can I use? I'm doing the best I can, people, but I think this comes pretty close. This comes pretty close to being able to say that you're either slaves to sin or you're slaves to righteousness. So Paul's going to explain that to us. Um, and, and he says, um, he's going to go further here, and he's going to say, I want you to know that you, wanted, you once presented yourself to doing bad things and getting worse and worse and worse, but now I want you to present yourselves to God and get better and better and better. It's not enough to have the power of God in you. You now need to allow that power to flow through you and cause you to become a righteous person. And Paul, to explain this, uses the word sanctification. It's one of his favorite words. It's the first time he uses it here. And it means the process of becoming holy or becoming, being perfected. And it's kind of an already-not-then concept that Paul gives us. In, from God's perspective, once you come into a relationship with him, you're forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. You are his. You're going to heaven. But you're still not really perfect. You're not going to be perfected until you get to heaven. So there's this process of growth, and that's what Paul will call sanctification. Now, there's something that you need to understand here. There's a couple things that are important. One is that Paul leaves no neutral position. Do you notice that? There's not an in-between. You can't say, you know, I'm, for, I'm, I'm a slave of sin. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of neutrality. I'm not either. Sometimes I go with sin. Sometimes I go with God. You can't do that. God, he doesn't leave that. You're one or the other. But here's what's significant is that, you know, you think, well, but I still do bad things. I mean, I'm kind of more the neutrality guy. And Paul's going to address that a lot in these next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, we kind of feel like we're the neutrality guy. But the reality is, is that even if you are a slave to righteousness, you still can live like you're a slave to sin. You can still slip back into the old ways. And if that happens occasionally, then you're human. That's to be expected. And that's why we continue to communicate with God and we apologize for things and we work through things. We're in a relationship and we all mess up. But if you persist in living a life of sin, then there is a real problem. Jesus said every person who is committing sin is a slave to sin. If you keep committing it, if that becomes your life, you've got a problem. Let's, let's apply it to today. Say I'm a Niners fan, or, you know, and here we've got Jacob's wearing his Niners shirt, and I brought my Niners hat. So we're Niners fans. We're not ashamed of it, right? If you say you're a Niners fan, but you never wear their paraphernalia, you never watch their games, you never follow them, you don't really open the root for them, and you say you're a fan, I'm going to say, I don't think so. And if you have believers that are afraid to tell people that they know Jesus, afraid to invite people to come to church or to talk to them about God, if you have people that never come to church and never read their Bible, never pray, over a period of time, you begin to see that maybe they're not really believers. Jesus said this, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. If you have committed your life to Christ, and if it's real, then it should change. And that's what Paul is saying. There should be this sanctification process. Now, you're going to slip and go back and forth sometimes, and that's okay. That's understandable. But you should be, it should be an upward trajectory. I, I want to give you um, 
an illustration of something that happened with me when I was younger that I think might help a little bit. It's imperfect because it's an illustration, okay? But it's an illustration. When I was a boy, when I was in junior high, I used to hang out with a, a gang of guys. We were in a formal gang, but there were a bunch of us that would hang out together during junior high. We always hung out on the playground. Sometimes we'd go to different places and we spread out, but we did most of our social life together. I'd known a lot of these kids since I was younger, but the kids were, the guys were kind of starting to go in the wrong direction. Some other people had come in from other schools and kind of infiltrated our group, and it had grown, but it had gotten mixed together, and there were some people there that weren't really the best of elements in that group. They were starting to experiment with drugs and alcohol and girls and, and uh, cars and looking to get jobs that they could make some money just to spend and... And one of the hard parts is the guy who had become the leader of the group was my old buddy, Tim. And he'd been my buddy since fourth grade. And we had been chums for a long time. And I'd kind of brought him in originally with another guy. And we'd all been good pals. There'd been three of us. But then it kept growing. And Tim was a year older than me. And, you know, he matured faster. And he was bigger. And he had some charisma. And so he became kind of the leader of the group. And then he started treating me disrespectfully. So I got to a point where I felt kind of miserable when I was with the group. But I was kind of afraid to leave the group. You know what I'm saying? Because I'd known these guys since I was a kid. They were my identity. So what do I do? Well, my freshman year in high school, I started getting into sports, and I started getting into more serious academic courses and gradually began to pull away. And that brought tension. That brought tension in our relationships. And then as I went into my sophomore year in high school, I remember I had a showdown at a pool table at my friend's house, and I just said, enough, I'm not with you guys anymore. I'm on my own. And I took off, and I got into this other world, but I still saw these guys around. And I would still hang out with them once in a while. And sometimes maybe too much. Then I'd pull away. But for the most part, I stayed away. My buddy Tim, in time, he actually got close to coming to the Lord. He's actually in my wedding, and I've lost track of him since. Uh, some of the other guys didn't turn out too well. I know one guy turned out in jail or you know, prison. Um, some of the guys didn't do too well and had a lot of problems. Um, and it was good that I got out of that group. But I apply that to us now because you need to decide what gang you're going to be in. Are you in the gang of the world or are you in the gang of the Lord? And if you follow the gang of the Lord, there's going to be tensions. And, and you're going to be lured that the old group wants to pull you back. And it's, you know, sometimes it's just natural. You know, there's sometimes you, it's an imperfect illustration. You want to reach out to the people that are in the old group, but you don't want to go back to that lifestyle. And you've got to be careful. There will be times you trip up, and then you need to make sure you're in the right group. Do you see what's happening here? That's the tension that we have. You are now in the other group. You are no longer of that group. But that group is still there, and you can still visit it. And when you do, you need to make sure, spiritually speaking, that you're confessing your sins and getting back to where you need to be. Make sense? That's where I think God is calling us and what Paul's talking about here. We need to make that change in our lives. Now, the second thing we see is that our slavery leads to eternal life, verses 20 through 23. So now Paul says, I've talked about, you know, how good it is to turn to Christ, but I want to talk about how bad it was the way you used to live. See, when you were slaves to sin, you were free to righteousness. You could do whatever you wanted to. You were not held by righteousness. You weren't in that gang. You were in the old gang. You didn't care what anybody else was doing. You did what you wanted to do. And how did you feel about it? You produced fruit. How was that fruit? That fruit was rotten. That fruit stunk. 
that fruit you are ashamed of. Right? So let me say this. I told you about this little gang I was in. I was never really a bad kid. I didn't experiment with drugs. I had some uh, drinking, got a little bit of trouble with alcohol when I was in college, but for a short period of time. Never was a womanizer. Couldn't even get a girl to go out with me in those days. Um, <laughs> I, I was never a thug. I was called one once. Um, but, uh, you know, we were mischievous at times, but I really wasn't a bad boy, so to speak. But I'll tell you what, there are things I thought and things I did that I don't want anybody in this room to ever know about. And you know what? You're thinking the same thing. There is stuff we just don't want to know about. There are still things that occasionally come to my mind I find it helpful to confess to God. We're all there because we're all born in sin. And we're all, you know, remember, sin is not, sin is imperfection. It's missing the mark. Nobody does it right, and when we're honest, there are thoughts and things that we've said and done that we feel very ashamed of. And Paul says, that's the way we were. That's the way we were. And he says, those ways end in death, but you've been set free from that, and you've become slaves of God. And there's fruit now that comes in your relationship with with Jesus Christ. You see, you become slaves to God, but here's the interesting thing. God loves you more than you love yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. And if you're a slave to him, he's going to give you gifts to serve him, and he's going to enable you to be more fulfilled and have a more meaningful life and do more good. He'll enable you to do all that more than you ever could have done and do it for eternity. Which life would you rather have? Paul lays it out. Look at where you were at. Let's be honest. Can you think of where you were at and think of where you are at and will be at? And that gets pretty exciting. Paul wraps it up at verse 23, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, and I think probably the best evangelistic verse in the New Testament. It just sort of encapsulates everything we need to know about coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, um, the wages of sin is death. Think about sin paying your wages for you. And the wages, the word for wages used here was used usually in military. So it's like in the military. The military, the soldier gets paid his wages. Here the soldier gets paid his wages, but the soldier is a soldier for sin. And the wages are not good wages. The idea is that when you get paid, you don't get paid the lump sum for the year. You usually get paid on a regular basis. And so the idea is you're not paid death, bang, just like that. But the wages that are, you get, are given are leading you to death. You are in the process of dying. You are dying physically and you are dying spiritually. And there's little hope. There's really no hope aside from Christ. And then he brings up Jesus Christ. And he's the theme here, Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the key. When we talk about Jesus as Jesus, as his name Jesus, um, originally in Hebrew it's Yeshua from which we get Joshua. And that name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is God's, it's his intimate, formal, legal name from the Old Testament. It literally means, I am who I am. He is the self-existent one, the one who is the mightiest of mighties, has saved us through this man. When it says he's Christ, Christos, or, or Messiah, it, seems, it means he's the anointed one. There were three anointed positions, three anointed officials in that day. 
There was the prophet. As the prophet, he came to teach us how to live. As the priest, he died for us on the cross in our place to enable us to have a relationship with God so that we could live the way he's called us to. And as the king, he empowers us and protects us and cares for us in our lives. What God is saying here is he is Lord. What Paul is saying is Jesus is Lord. And we bow down to him. Either we bow down to, we either bow down to sin and our wages lead us to death or we just surrender ourselves to Jesus as our Lord. Now, when you come before a person in a battle and you have worked against them and you've said and done all these horrible things against them for years and now you come to them and you surrender, what do you expect them to do for you? Put you in prison? Chop your head off? That's what you would expect. But the most surprising thing here is after you bow down, Jesus lifts you up, he picks you back up to your feet, and he hands you a gift. And the gift he gives you has a certificate for eternal life with him in heaven. That's what it's all about. You just simply surrender, and you come into a relationship with him. And it doesn't get any better than that. I want to give one more analogy here. Um, it's a football analogy, because it's, it's uh, you know, we have the game going on. It's interesting when you look at football players and their situation, and it's a microcosm of us. I'm thinking of uh, Raheem Mostert, big hero with the San Francisco 49ers, big running back hero this last week. This guy didn't get very much pay. He was underloved and uncared for, and he bounced from team to team to team to team. And then finally, he ended up with the 49ers, and they gave him a chance to play. And he fumbled. And they loved him, and they took care of him. They said, it's okay, we'll teach you how not to fumble. And he stopped fumbling. And they worked with him. And then some people got injured, and they opened up the door. And then he started playing, and now he's become a big hero, and he's on to fame and fortune, so it seems. People, you were born on the losing team. And you were underpaid, underused, and unloved. And you aren't going to make it on your own. You sit the bench most of the time, and when you get out there and play, it just feels so empty. You just, you'd never live up to your own standards. Then one day, the most powerful team in the planet offers you to come and play for them. And all you have to do is say yes. You come onto that team, and suddenly work feels like play. Suddenly you find you have gifts and abilities you didn't know you had. And if you are faithful and hang in there, there will be opportunities for service and ministry for years to come for all of eternity. That's what God has set up for us when we come into a relationship with him. So I'm going to ask you one question today. There'll be, actually, I'm going to ask you some other questions to follow it up, but one question for your application, and that is this. Who do you obey? At the end of the day, who do you obey? I want to share some other questions that I wrote down as a follow-up to this. One is, are you a slave to sin or to righteousness? Do you live to please others 
and earn their praise and admiration? Or do you live for the living God? What are your priorities? Do you live life in relationship with, with the king of the universe? Are you in a relationship with God? Are you talking to him through the day and listening to him, primarily through his word, the Bible, and through others that God has brought in your life? Do you enjoy using your gifts and serving him? Do you have increasing peace and hope even in trials? Do you find less of a desire to sin against others or to promote yourself? And do you want to tell others about Jesus? It's one of the big weaknesses in the church today, you know, that the thing that changes things, you know, we want to, there's so many different things that we can do, so many different socially good things we can do, but let us not forget that the absolutely most important thing that anybody in this room can do, and you're not going to win awards for this, you're not on earth, you know, we're not going to, they're not, we don't have, have awards for this, but it's, it's seeing people come to know Christ. Sharing your life with people, because when people's lives change, it changes society. So are, are we ashamed of the gospel, or do we share the gospel? Do we invite people to church? Do we talk to them about Jesus? Are we living for Christ? In contrast, are you living for sin? And, and your, your life is under some kind of law. It may be a religious law. It may be a civil law. It may just be something in your head, but you're following something else. And if you're honest, you don't live up to your own standards, and your life can seem futile, meaningless, empty, and lonely. It's hard because there's no absolutes for your decisions. You ever think about that? If you don't know God, then everything is left up to you. Every decision you make is based on your own flawed, imperfect decision-making. And you've got to live with that because you have nothing to base it on. And often your achievements seem meaningless. You ever notice that? They seem meaningless. You'll hear people talking over and over about their achievements because they're trying to convince themselves that they were meaningful. But they realize that they're just futile. They're just going through the motions without God. You lack peace and hope and trials. You can easily find yourself going into a dark hole with the wrong people and doing the wrong things. I want you to identify yourself today before God. Are you a follower of Christ or not? And if you are a follower of Christ and you're not living like you are, that's dangerous territory. And Paul is saying, get back on the horse. Stop messing around. Because the one that's going to hurt the most is you in the end with this, and of course those people around you that are nearest to you. So we need to make sure we get our lives right with Christ and that we know him. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you um, today to realize that you're, you're paying wages to sin. And that's not going to get you anywhere. It's only going to get you death. But Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins and risen from the grave. And he offers you eternal life. You need to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and then surrender your life to him and experience his grace and love and joy in your life. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that because it's the most incredible thing you could ever do. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much today 
for what you did for us. Lord, if there's any, even just one person here who's yet to come into a personal relationship with you, I pray that they would surrender their lives to you this day and follow you this for, forward. And I pray for anybody else uh, who has been kind of riding the fence lately that they would, they would get back up, get on the horse, that they'd relive their lives the way that you've called them to. And, and we just entrust them to you and pray that you would work in each person's life, that each of us would grow closer to you and begin to better understand this whole process of sanctification that comes only when we trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.